You're listening to The Gathering Church Podcast, located in Asheville, North Carolina. The Gathering is a place where you can belong before you believe. To find out more, visit gatherashville.org. Good morning and welcome to the Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor. It's so good to have you guys with us here today. Welcome to everybody joining us online. It's good to have you with us here today, although we're a little bit jealous because we know you're on a couch right now under a blanket and we had to walk through the rain to get into this place today. And so, but welcome anyways. We're glad you're here. Hey guys, I'm so excited because next next Sunday is Easter. As Mikey was talking about, you know, I'm, I'm just... I'm just so excited to be able to celebrate, and not only celebrate, but celebrate in our home at T.C. Robertson High School and celebrate all that this means. I love a good comeback story, and it ain't no better story of comeback than Jesus walking out of that grave. And I just think after the year that we've had as a group of people, that every win that we are able to receive uh, to start taking steps back to where we were before is such a good feeling, and that's what it feels like to me stepping back into that uh, auditorium next Sunday. I can't wait for you to join us. We got three service times. I want to tell you why. We got a, a 9 a.m., a 10:30, and a 12. And the reason is that w- there was a, a study done a couple weeks ago by a group called the Pew Research Institution. They do all kinds of surveys and studies. One of the better research institutions in our country. And one of the researches that uh, studies that they just did was about Easter and church. And they asked people whether or not they'd be willing to come back on Easter Sunday. And out of the folks interviewed, it was folks who have been home watching online for the last year. And 71% of the people they interviewed said they'd be willing to come back on Easter Sunday. Or sorry, 61% of the people interviewed. And so we got to be ready for that. We still have a pandemic going on. We got to make sure there's room that we're able to socially distance and that we are able to... um, create space for that. That is why we're going to have three services next Sunday. We also know that in that same study, they asked people whether or not they'd be willing to say yes to their friends, co-workers, neighbors, relatives, inviting them to services this Easter Sunday. And 75% of the people they interviewed said that they would say yes to an invitation to Easter Sunday service. People are desperate for hope. They're desperate for community. They're desperate to build relationships. And for 2,000 years, that's exactly what the church has offered. And so this year is, is better timing than ever to bring that invitation card to somebody that you know and say, hey, I want to bring you to a place where you can find hope, where you can be seen and noticed and known on Easter Sunday. And so uh, I encourage you to do that. Well, today we are um, continuing our series called More Than Me, More Than Me. My goal has been to help you see that God is calling you to be a part of a bigger story than the one you would write for yourself. I think that our natural inclination is to be focused inward, to think about us, especially over what's happened this last year. I think more than ever we are inward focused. We think about 
me, what makes me feel good, what's good, what's, what's comfortable for me, what do I want, what's nice for me, but God created you to be about more than yourself. He's calling you to a purpose that's bigger than you, and in this series, our goal has just been to help you begin to see that. God created you with a purpose, and that purpose not only is not just about you, but it won't just benefit you. It's about others, and it's for Him. It's very counter to what our culture calls us to, which is a life that's all about me. We often make our decisions based on what benefits us. The world is telling us to pursue good things for us, money, power, position, platform, authority, but all of these things in the end always leave us asking there's, if there's more. And so our goal in this series is to answer that question with a resounding yes, there is more. God has a purpose for you. And so often we don't step into that purpose because we don't think we can or we don't trust the people that God is calling us to serve alongside or we're not so sure that we trust God and, and to, enough to do what He's called us to do. So today I want to take a look back to the story of someone who felt all these same things but put them aside so God could use him in a mighty way. Today I want to talk about the story of Moses. Moses. It's this incredible story of what happens when we allow the Spirit of the living God to make us more than ourselves. And when we decide to stop living a story that is all about us and submit to God, writing a story for us that is bigger. I think today is a great day to talk about this story of Moses. Today is Palm Sunday. And so maybe you grew up not around church or not inside a church. I'll explain what Palm Sunday is in a second. But maybe you grew up in church and you half expected to come in here today to a choir waving palm fronds, singing Jerusalem. I don't know, maybe. I, may, I don't, I'll send the rest of it for you later in the lobby if you'd like. But either way, Palm Sunday is a really big day. This is the beginning of what we call Passion Week or the last week that Jesus would spend um, in Jerusalem before he was crucified and resurrected. And Jesus would enter into the city of Jerusalem on the first day of that week, on Sunday, to the sounds of praises and hosanna. And the people were laying these palm branches down on the ground to make a carpet for him to enter into the city in. But just a few short days later, those same people would be shouting, crucify him, as Jesus was being tried. And so Palm Sunday is the beginning of the greatest redemption story ever told. The story of my redemption, of your redemption. And so I think it's a good day for us to look at Moses because before the story of Jesus, one of the, or the greatest story of redemption and of God rescuing someone from captivity is the story of Exodus found, uh, it, or the story of Moses found in Exodus. We see a man who is redeemed calling others into redemption. And so I want to talk about that today and talk about how, how, what we can learn from it as we learn to be about 
about more than ourselves. Moses' story is so incredible, it's so interesting, that it's been adapted on film 11 times. And two of those times, it's won an Academy Award for it. At least six of those times, it was really bad. Horribly done, terrible acting. But there's a lot of good movies about the story of Moses out there because it's an interesting story. Moses is, my favorite is the Prince of Egypt, by the way. Oh my goodness gracious, the soundtrack, am I right? Doesn't get enough credit, should be celebrated more than it is. Anyways, M- Moses uh, was born a Hebrew slave in Egypt. He this is a few hundred years after Abraham, who we learned about last week, and Abraham's descendants are very numerous. There's a a million people in Egypt, except now they are in captivity there. They've been taken as slaves. At some point, Pharaoh became intimidated by the amount of Hebrews in his country, and he enslaved these people. And they've been slaves there now for 400 years. They've been asking for help, asking for someone to see them crying out to God for 400 years. Years. Moses is born a slave in this time, but the current Pharaoh is now worried about there being too many Hebrew slaves, and he's worried about an uprising. And so he issues a law saying that all the sons of the Hebrews who are a couple years old and younger are to be killed. And so to save his life, Moses' mother takes him and puts him in a basket she weaves out of straw, which, you know what, people were better at making things back then. We can be honest. If I had to do that for my children, they'd sink. Anyways, they make a bas- she makes a basket, she floats Moses down the Nile River, and he's found by the daughter of the Pharaoh. And she brings him in, and she raises him like a son. And he grows up in the palace. He's got access to all the things of Pharaoh. He's, he's given a home there, a, a family there. He's trained to have some role in that kingdom. But at some point along the way, we don't know when or how. It's been dramatized in a bunch of movies. We don't know the real story. At some point, Moses knows his identity. He knows who he is. He knows that he's a Hebrew that has been brought into this home. And so... He goes out walking and he's, he's walking where the slaves are building and working and he sees one of his people being abused by one of the slave drivers and he goes up to this man and attacks him. Something inside of him wakes up. Something inside of him that was placed there by God for a purpose wakes up that day. I wonder if you can think of a moment when something inside of you woke up. When you felt like you were meant to be a part of something bigger. When your wiring just came together one day. That's what happens for Moses. Moses was created to be a redeemer to these people. He couldn't just let injustice stand. So he fights with the guard and it ends with this guard losing his life. Maybe in your life you've gotten into some trouble because of the way that you're wired. God loves to take those parts of our creation and redeem them for His purpose. I know I have. I, I know when I was growing up in high school, I was always getting in trouble for talking too much. And now I talk all the time. It's my job. And so I can see that God takes the things about us. I used to always influence people to trouble. In fact, I had kind of a reputation for it. I was very good at coming up with bad ideas and convincing a lot of people to join me in those ideas. I, had, I was kind of known for it in my college and, and early Coast Guard career. 
or it was was my thing. And what I know now was that God was put in me uh, leadership uh, and that he wanted to use me to influence people towards his gospel message. I used it for evil then, I used it for him now. I think there's things inside of you that have, have been things that you've gotten in trouble for, have been things that, that you, you maybe don't like about yourself, that you know about yourself and you, you wish you could change sometimes. And I don't believe that we are the way that we are on accident. I think that there was a designer involved in your creation, that he made you exactly as you are for a purpose. And one day he's going to redeem all those traits inside of you for his purpose. And that's what he does with Moses. Moses becomes a murderer because he can't stand the injustice. But he was also a murderer, so he ran away. He fled. And he ran into the desert, and he finds himself living there with a tribe in the desert. And he's, he's happy. He, he starts a family in, in the desert. He becomes a shepherd. It was a peaceful time of his life. He's got a, a family, kids. He's got a position in this tribe. Life is good. He's got some sheep to watch. And he was there for 40 years. I bet he got real comfortable over that time. But then, one day, God asked him to step away from a life that was all about him and into something more. And this story begins in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'm going to go check that out. He said, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses. Moses. It's Val Kilmer's voice in the Prince of Egypt, which is perfect. And Moses says, here I am. Okay, Bush, you're, talk, you're talking to me, Bush? I'm right here. Do not come any closer, God says. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I'm concerned about their suffering. I wonder if you've ever felt like God doesn't see you or hear you or listen or like whatever you've been through hasn't been something that he's noticed or cared about. I love this reminder that even though for 400 years these people have been wondering if anybody's been listening, God starts, he opens this with a reassurance that he has seen it and that he's heard it and that he cares. I am concerned about their suffering. I love that line. Verse 8, So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God may not appear to you 
in a burning bush. It's unlikely that you're going to go for a hike at Black Balsam one day and there's going to be this bush on fire that's going to start talking to you. Very, if it does happen, vet it first. You know what I'm saying? But I, I do believe that even though you may not see a burning bush, God still speaks to us. And He speaks to us regularly and clearly. And I believe that even though He may not send you to go deliver an entire people group, he may, that He is absolutely still sending you. He speaks to us through His written Word and through His Holy Spirit. And He sends us through the message and the mission of Jesus. The New Testament is filled with God's calling and specific instructions to us. And it's so clear. We are to live like Jesus and to continue His mission. To share His message with as many people as we can in our time here on earth. It is every bit as clear as it was when Moses heard the voice of God from a bush. We're meant to do it and we're meant to do it together. To use the gifts that were given specifically to us. And it's going to mean that we live a life that's about more than ourselves and we're fulfilled by that life. But maybe all of that scares you. Maybe the idea of being called to something like this, of being invited into this story, of being a part of something bigger than yourself, it scares you. Maybe you would respond to that the same way that Moses did. In verse 11, it says, Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. We don't step into the purpose that God created us with often because we doubt ourselves. Moses said, who am I, who am I that I should do this? I think it's interesting that that's Moses' first question when Moses is uniquely qualified to be the person to do this. I wonder in that day and age how many people were able to just walk into the home of Pharaoh and approach the throne. I wonder how many people were known there. How many people had authority there? How many people were trained in the customs who, who knew the right things to say, the way to behave? How many people had that sort of access? How many people were also Hebrew? I'm guessing that that number was one. Uniquely qualified to do the very thing that God had called him to do. But he says, who am I? that I should be the one to do this. It's not because he didn't think he would be able to or allowed to. It's because he was, he was fixated on whether or not he was qualified to. He was thinking about his past. thinking about his mistakes, his shortcomings, his weaknesses, the tendencies he had that he wished he didn't, the things he hated about himself, all the things that he had to lose if he said yes to this. I wonder if you've ever felt that way. I have this terrible finger right now. I don't know if you can see it. I'd show it to you on its own, but that would be inappropriate. But I have a purple finger. I slammed my finger in a bathroom door. I, I was just going, I had to go to the bathroom real bad. I was in a hurry, and I pulled it behind me closed, and it got me, and it hurt so bad. And it turned my fingernail purple. I'm so self-conscious about this purple fingernail. I am convinced in my head that the only thing that people see when they look at me is that I have a purple fingernail. I've had six different people in the last couple months ask me if I painted that fingernail. I'm like, no, but I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about painting. A pretty color would be nice. I am sure 
that the only thing people can think about when they talk to me is this terrible fingernail. I'm thinking about putting a Band-Aid over it for the next six months until it grows out because it's such an ugly thing about myself. And don't we do the same thing when we speak to God or when we go to church or when we get in a life group and a community? We're certain that whatever the ugliest part is about ourselves is going to be the only thing that people can see or notice or care about. It may be such a small thing to them. It may be such a a thing that nobody notices, that nobody bats an eye out. Maybe it's a thing that everyone in the room is also dealing with, but we are convinced, our enemy has us convinced that this thing about me disqualifies me, that that it's the worst thing, that, that nobody could ever understand it. Nobody would want me because of this. I wonder if you've ever wanted to live a more fulfilling life, and maybe you even believe that giving your life to Jesus is the way to do that, but you don't, not fully, because you're afraid that if you do, He might find out who you really are. Or you think there's no way God could accept you because of the life that you've lived or what you've done. Maybe you've heard the message of grace that we preach, that anyone can come into a relationship with Jesus and your sins can be washed away, and, but subconsciously you hear that and you think, yeah, but not mine, not me. Yeah, that's good. I like that. That that makes me feel good, but it couldn't be true about me. Somehow, we get so arrogant that we think our sins are too big for Jesus. Maybe you wouldn't even admit that that's how you think, but it is. Maybe you just think you don't have anything to offer. You don't feel special in any way. How could God use you? Why, Why would you, what makes you think you could have a conversation with your coworkers about Jesus or invite them to church. What, they know you. They know who you are. There's nothing special about you. You just don't have anything to offer. Maybe you, you're not a good speaker or you don't know how to play guitar or sing or you're shy. So how could God possibly use you? Maybe you're not ready to follow Jesus fully because you like your life the way that it is. You're worried about it changing. You're worried about, about what would happen, what would be required. It's built around you and what you like and what you want and things are the way that you like it. You don't want to change that. But deep down, you can't help but feel like there's got to be more. We doubt ourselves. And we don't just doubt ourselves. We doubt each other. Exodus 4.1 says, Moses is still in this conversation with God. He says, but what if they don't believe me or listen to me? and, And they say, the Lord didn't appear to you. What if they discredit me? What if they don't like me? Moses was sure There was nobody he could trust, that nobody would believe him. Nobody would receive him. He didn't even know how to talk to them. In another place, he says, I have a a stammer. Nobody will listen to me. They'll just make fun of me. God has a bigger story for you, and it absolutely involves others. Others who are going to help you find freedom. Others who need you to help them find freedom. Others who will be in your community and who will help you grow Others who will be co-laborers alongside you in the purpose we've been given. We struggle with that too, don't we? We have a core value at the gathering that says people are our priority. And another one that says vulnerability are our strength. But these things will never come naturally to you. There are things you have to choose. Things you have to work for. Our life experiences with people have taught us to be wary of them. Not to trust them. Not to open ourselves up to them. You can't get your heart broken by people if you never give your heart to people. Maybe you've learned that you're better off 
keeping a wall up between you and anybody who would try to get close to you. Maybe you just think, you know, it's just happened too much. Every single person I know will eventually hurt me. So I'll just keep a wall between me and them. I can have some surface relationships here and there, but I'm never really going to try to connect deeply because I don't want to go through that again. And we refuse to let people help us because we don't want them to know us. And we refuse to commit to helping them because we don't think we're capable of it. We doubt each other. We doubt ourselves. We doubt God. Exodus 3.13, it says, Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what am I supposed to tell them? This is interesting. Until this, this chapter of the Bible, God has never revealed his name. Not to Adam, not to Noah, not to Abraham, not to Isaac, not to Jacob, not to Joseph, not to Judah, not to anybody. Nobody knows God's name. Moses isn't saying, how come everyone knows your name and I don't? M- Moses is saying, who are you? Why should I trust you? Where have you been? What, what if they, they ask me about you? How am I supposed to answer them? Where have, you, where have you been the last 400 years? Where were you for me when my life went south? Where were you for me when I was put in a basket in a river? Where were you for all my brothers who were killed? Where were you? Who are you? I don't know you. I don't even know your name. We doubt God. We take our frustration out on Him. We point something at Him. I wonder how often we hear that God has this plan or that plan for our lives and He wants these great and wonderful things for us. And then we just kind of sit back and wonder, really? Will He really do those things? Does He really want that for me? Could He really use me to make a difference? Will it really fulfill me? Will it finally give me joy, peace? Will it? Because the world around me, every single person is saying that all these other things are going to fulfill me and give me happiness like money and relationship, power, platforms. How do I know that God is right and everyone else is wrong? Do I even really know who God is? What He's like? Moses asked these same questions and he asked them directly to God. So chances are, whether you are sitting there talking to a burning bush, hearing the voice of God, or you're here in this place listening to me telling you what God is like, what He wants for your life, you're going to feel those same doubts just like Moses did. But despite these doubts, Moses goes on from this moment to lead the Israelites out of captivity and back into a relationship with God. And eventually he passes the torch so that they can walk into the promised land. The rest of human history happens because Moses says yes to this thing that God is calling him to. He's got all these doubts going through his mind. He still says yes to it. He does it, and I'll tell you why. Because from this conversation for the rest of his life, Never again was Moses just Moses. From this moment forward, he was Moses and God. Everything that he's able to accomplish, everything that he's able to do, the miracles that happen because he says, because he says yes, they happen because Moses becomes more than Moses. 
He's Moses and God. And what I believe is that God is inviting us into a story that is bigger than the one we're living. He's calling you to be a part of something bigger than yourself. He's calling you into a purpose that is greater than the purpose you would choose for yourself. And it's intimidating. And saying yes to that is something that I've got doubts about. I don't know. I don't know if I'm the right person. I don't know if these are the right people. I don't know if you're, the, if, if you're really going to be there for me. But listen to me. He's called you to it, and He's going to be with you and a part of you every step of the way. He wants you to be more than you. He wants to fill you with His Spirit and use you for something greater than you've ever imagined. He wants to transform generations with you. He wants to find the most broken people that He can and put the pieces back together. He wants to use you to do it. He wants to bring hope into hopeless hearts through you. He wants to find people who are so bound up in the chains of pain and sin and addiction, and He wants to break those chains, and He wants to use you to do it. But not just you. He's going to be with you. With God, we can do a whole lot more than we ever could do on ourselves, because with God, we have courage. Moses says, who am I that you should choose me? And God answers him like this in verse 11. Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I? In verse 12, he says, God says, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. He doesn't give them a sign right then. He says, your sign? He wants them to step in faith to do something hard, to put the doubts aside and to step up and do something hard. But he says, you'll know that it was me who sent you when you're back on this mountain with all of the Israelite people behind you, when you've done it, when I've done it, when we've done it, when you've been used to redeem this people, Moses, then you'll know it was me who sent you. God is with us in the purpose that He's calling us to. And He wants us to be able to look back over the course of our lives and know that we've been used for something bigger than ourselves, to be a part of something greater, and to be able to look back at the army of lives that have been changed through us, that we were a part of, and say, wow, that really was God calling me to be a part of that. He's coming with us. And He can use us in ways we've never imagined. 1 Corinthians 1.25, it says this, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. I know that maybe you have already thought up a list of a hundred different reasons why you shouldn't be a part of God's plan for this city, why, why you, you shouldn't be a part of a life group where people really get to know you, why you shouldn't be a part of the dream team and the way we serve as a church, why you shouldn't take part in outreach events, or why you shouldn't get in, involved in any other way. Maybe you have this long list of reasons you don't want anybody to really actually fully know you, but God says, whatever you have that you can bring to the table, I can use. I can take the most foolish person and I can use them to shame the wise. I can, I can take the person who makes the world's worst decisions, which, hello, that was me, and I can use them to do wise things. I'm the one who can use you for this. The story of Moses is this perfect story of redemption where this man didn't want to be used. His life had sin in his past. He'd done horrible things. He took a life. 
But God says, I'm going to take you from this place that you've placed yourself in, Moses, this hole that you've dug for yourself, and I'm going to set you back on your original. Redeem means to be set back on your original purpose. He says, I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to take you from the path you're on and put you on the path I designed you to walk. And I'm going to use you to redeem a whole group of people. In verse 26, First uh, Corinthians 1, 26 says, Brothers and sisters, think of who you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He knows your past. He knows your future. And He wants you to be a part of the story that He's writing. It doesn't matter whether or not you think you're worthy or capable or able to make a difference. God can still use you I would encourage you to go all in with him. Here's what I mean. We used to do this challenge. We do it all the time. Where I would say, give me a year and go all in. Give, give it everything you've got for one year. Say yes to everything that God is asking you to do for one year and see what happens. See how it changes you. And at the end of that, uh, I would give those challenges throughout the year and all the time I'd have people come to me on Sundays and say, I did it. I did the things. I did all the things for a year and who I am now is so different than who I was then. I've never felt so much joy and peace and fulfillment. Here's what I mean by go all in. I, I mean do it all. Actually read your Bible. I mean download a plan on, you know, find your Bible first and then read it. Or get, get it on your phone. version Bible app or Bible in one year. That's what I use. And Bible in one year, I love it. It's got a great commentary. It's always fresh. And you download this on your phone and then you just read it every day. And just decide you're going to hear from God. Some days you'll understand it. Some days you won't. You're just going to read it every day. You just wake up. You just read it every day. Let God speak to you. You pray. You make a commitment to go all in and say, I'm going to learn how to pray. I don't know how to pray. I've never been big on it. I don't understand it. It's weird to me. I feel like I'm talking to a wall. It's uncomfortable. What if someone sees me and they think I'm a psycho? I don't know about it. Pray actually pray. We actually have so many resources we want to give you. We have books that teach you how to pray. It's called the prayer guide. Step-by-step instructions on how to pray. We want to lead you in this. Commit to pray, to read your Bible every day. Go to a life group and commit to it. Commit to be known by somebody. Uh, here, one of the biggest things about taking a next step into your, your faith journey is to do it with somebody else. Life groups are the stepping off point for that. Here's me. I'm an introvert. Here's what I like to do at a life group. I go to one and I'll go and I, I mean, I'll, 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 I'll look for like, you know, they have like a chair in the corner that's there to pull over to everybody else just in case. I'm going to sit in that chair. I'm going to sit there and I'm going to go like this. I'm going to look around. I'm going to try not to be seen by anybody. I don't want to be noticed. I might get up, and if people look at me, I might tell a bunch of loud Coast Guard stories and then just try to hide again. And then, and then I'm going to hope that nobody noticed. And then I'll get in my car and I'm drive away. And in my car, I'm thinking, you know, I just didn't really connect with anybody in there tonight. I just didn't connect. I didn't really feel like anybody really tried very hard. I mean, I was physically there, you know. I mean, I don't feel like anybody really tried. Maybe it's that life group. Maybe it's just not for me. Maybe it's this church. You know, maybe, they, maybe, they just, maybe it just doesn't work. Here's how it actually has to work. If you want to be known and you want to have relationships, you have to walk into that place on a mission. 
You have to go talk to people and learn how to make small talk. And you've got to learn how to transition small talk to bigger talk. You've got to learn how to say things that are awkward. Like, so, so t- tell me about your story. Tell me about your journey. How did you get here? Who are you really? Where are you from? But not really where are you from in a physical place. Where, what, where, what, where have you been? Where are you from? And just start to make connections with people. Go all in. Build relationships. Get a phone number. Take it deeper. Go to a freedom group or one where there's a curriculum where we can walk you to freedom and you can say, hey, I struggle with this sin and you think you're all alone and then somebody else says, oh, I struggled with that sin actually and and here's how I got free. I'd love to take you on that journey. Go all in. Be known. And then get on the dream team. Be a part of what God is doing here. Say, hey, I'm willing to be used. I don't know what I'm good at. I mean, um, I can wipe diapers. I can, I can say hello at the door. I can put up something and take it down. I don't know. Whatever you need, I can be used. I make a mean cup of coffee, so I think nobody else might. I'll try it. Make whatever it is. Say, I'm going to be used. I'm, just go all in. Say yes to everything. Start to trust God with your finances. Start out with a little bit. Just a little bit. See what happens if you release a little bit of the thing you hold the tightest control onto into the one who has called you to it. Just release a little bit of your finances. And if you already do that, take it up a step. Just go all in. Go all in. Lean in and give a year to the one who's calling you to a bigger story and see what happens. I guarantee the doubts that you have about yourself will start to fade away because you don't have to do it alone. God gives us courage and he also gives us company. You don't have to do any of this alone. That's one of the best things about church. Exodus 4, God gives Moses further courage by showing him he can do miracles like turning his staff into a snake and other things to show Pharaoh that Moses is from God. Wouldn't that be a handy thing if God would give me that? I'd be in the grocery store line and somebody starts to get way too close. I'm like, snake. You know, here we go. Here we go. Anyways, God gives Moses a couple little miracles that he can do to convince the Pharaoh, but Moses is still uncertain about it. He knows that speaking publicly isn't in his gifting, and he tells God that. He says, God, I, I'm, I'm not, I, 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 I stutter. I can't do this. And God replies, what about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well, and he's already on his way to meet you. He'll be glad to see you. And you, you shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I will help both of you. I'll help both of you speak. And I'll teach you what to do. And he will speak to the people for you. And it will be like he were your mouth. And if you were God to him. See, I love this passage. Because not only does God know exactly what Moses needs before Moses asks. But he already has someone on his way to meet him. I wonder who God already has on their way to meet you. I wonder whose story he knows you need to hear on your pathway to freedom. I wonder whose gifts would perfectly complement yours who God is already sending to come alongside of you. I wonder what person is already a part of our community who you would connect with in a unique way. The design that God's given us as a church is that we would all learn to rely on and be in community with one another. Romans 12, 4 says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We were meant to do this together. There's a reason depression, anxiety, and all the things that we use to deal with it skyrocketed in the last year. We were never meant to live in isolation. We aren't wired that way. You have a need in your heart 
to be in relationship with others, to be in community. And that's because we were designed to come together to be the body of Christ, everyone with a different function. That's why life groups matter and building those relationships and doing the work, that's why it matters. It's designed to be a place for you to find deeper community. Some of our values, our family is our culture. Vulnerability is our strength. We believe these things. We believe you're benefited by these things. It's why the dream team is so important. Some of us, uh, it's a lot easier for us to make friends at work than it is in a social setting. Are you wired that way? The reason is that it's easier to make friends often when we are marching in the same direction together. When we're side by side, we have a task to do. When we're working together, it's easier to connect. It takes some barriers down. Serving on the dream team is a great place to build community because it will help you break down some of those barriers. You can be known. You can be a part of something together. Be a part of reaching this city together. And together we can make a difference. God gave us this community, the church, to help us, help us accomplish this purpose. So with Him, we have courage, we have company, and we have a champion. I'm not talking about champion like we are the champions, like the Mighty Ducks were the champions. I'm talking about a champion who is someone who fights your battles for you. A champion isn't someone to say, I will step in and stand in the way. Someone who's there to defend you, to protect you, to go before you. God said to Moses, I will be with you. And he was. Every step of the way through the calling he set Moses on, he was there. At the time, that was a very special and unique thing. Nobody got access to God like Moses. The Bible says that later on, there was this tent of meeting, this tabernacle where the presence of God would rest, and Moses would go in there, and it says he would speak to God face to face like a friend. And Moses would come out of this place, his face would be glowing from the presence of God. He'd have to wear a veil because it would freak people out so much. He would, he would be in the presence of God. Nobody gets to do this. Nobody gets to have this sort of relationship with God the way that Moses does again until our Redeemer comes. And Jesus comes and he takes all of the mistakes, all of our sin, all of it upon himself so that there's nothing in between us and God anymore. And then he beats death, and he's resurrected, and he sits at the right hand of God to intercede on our behalf, and he gives us a resource that would give us the same access to God that Moses had. We are the first ones, the first ones in the history of humanity to have that access since Moses. He gives us the power of his Holy Spirit. And he says, not only am I giving this to you, I'm going to put it inside of you. Isaiah 11, 1 through 3, Isaiah prophesies about Jesus and says, the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. And it's a spirit of wisdom and of understanding. And it's a spirit of counsel and of might. Maybe you're thinking, I'm not brave enough. I don't have, I don't have the words to say. I'm not smart enough. I don't know how am I going to be used by God when I'm just me, but this is a spirit of wisdom, a spirit of understanding, a spirit of counsel, a spirit of might, of knowledge, of fear of the Lord. And that spirit was with Jesus, and it gave him all these things. And in Acts 1.8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. 
And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God calls Moses to something far bigger than he ever imagined. Moses is getting into his twilight years. And he's happy. And his life is about him. He's got a family. And he's got sheep. And he sings, la, 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 la. That's from the prince of Egypt. And he, he does, he's got this life that's built around what he wants. And God steps into it and says, Moses, there is so much more for you. And I'm going to be with you every step of the way. And just as God steps into Moses' life and calls him into a bigger story and steps into that story alongside of him, so you're being called. See, Jesus, he shook everything up. Until that day, there was all these moments where God would really speak these, these specific callings to people. You're going to go to this place. You're going to go to that place. You're going to do this thing. You're going to do that thing. I'm going to use you for this. I'm going to use you for that. Moses, you're going to bring the Israelites out of captivity. You're going to be in the wilderness. Joshua, you're going to take these people. You're going to lead them into the promised land. God had these specific things in mind for each different person. Jesus changed all that. He made it possible for the Spirit of God to rest on you. And he said, here's, here's, here's where I'm sending you. I'm calling you. I've got a calling on your life and a purpose on your life, and here it is. Take this message of hope, of peace, that broken things can be mended, that things that are in captivity can be made free. Take this message that those who feel lost can be found, that those who feel empty can be made whole, and take it as far as you can, to as many hearts as you can, as many people as you can, as many places as you can, take it and run with it. It's the calling He's placed on your life. It's what you were made to do. It's the only thing that matters. And He has given you everything you need to do it. So it's time to silence the doubts. They may not go away. I don't know that they ever went away from Moses. We see Moses struggling with those doubts throughout his whole life. You may always have doubts. You may always wonder you know, you, you, whether or not you can trust people. You're still going to get hurt by people. That's part of it. I, I don't think that living a good life in community means being able to live a life without getting hurt. I think it means learning how to heal and, and learning how to take it in a healthy way. I think you're always going to need to give your heart to people. I think it's what we're called to do. I think that you're always going to have a purpose that feels too big for you that feels impossible and it's going to give you self-doubt. But I think every time one of these doubts comes up, that the Spirit is there to give you confidence, to give you courage, to give you someone to come alongside you to trust. That's what this story is that we're being called into. It's so much bigger than ourselves and it's so important. And I hope that you'll join us in it. I hope that you'll join us in this mission. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, maybe you just never thought you could. You never thought you were good enough. Maybe secretly you always thought, I just don't think He cares about me. I want to tell you today that He has cared about you from the moment you were formed. That He placed things in you that He wants to use in you. That He has ways to fulfill you and give you peace and comfort and hope that nothing in this world ever could or will. And all you have to do to enter into a relationship with Him is say yes to the gift that He's already offered you. And if that's you and you're here today or you're watching online, every head bowed, every eye closed, just say this prayer with me. It's just as simple 
as, as he's got his hand out, all you have to do is reach out and take it. Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for every mistake I've made. Forgive me for trying to do this on my own. I give myself to you. Everything that I am, every gift, every doubt, every fear, I give it to you. I lay it at your feet. From this day forward, I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Gathering Church podcast is produced by the Gathering Church creative team. Want to get involved? Fill out a Connect card online at gatherashville.org. Find us on Facebook at The Gathering Church or on Instagram at Gather Asheville.